Open your Bibles to John 18, verses 28 through 30. So chronologically, if you're visiting us today, and I welcome you. I just love if I get a chance at the, at the service to meet you if you're here visiting. Um, so we're going through a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. Chronologically, we're, we're only hours. So let's kind of get, get our bearings. Let's try to shut out the world. And let's just try to immerse ourselves in God's word. We're, we're only hours away from the innocent son of God being crucified on the cross for guilty sinners. Last Sunday, Pastor Allen did an amazing job teaching us about Christ's trials with the Jewish leaders as well as Peter's denial of him. Talk about trouble. In it, he chronicled how Peter denied Christ three times. And he also chronicled how Christ declared himself to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Rescuer. So even though Jesus denied him, Christ was faithful and declared the truth. And as we read this morning's text, so, you know, I love to tell you what to be looking for. So as we read, be intentional in your reading along with me. Please watch for the unfolding uh, uh, here of a threefold drama. Please, please watch for what the Jewish leaders say about Jesus outside Pilate's house, outside of his headquarters. Be thinking about that. Be, be then noticing what Jesus says about himself. So what do the Jewish leaders say about Jesus outside? What does Jesus say about himself inside? And then what does Pilate come back outside to say about Jesus as a result of all of that? And then having read all of that, it'd be really good to ask yourselves, what do you say about Jesus? Having heard all that, what do you say about Jesus? So let's turn to the inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, divinely inspired word of God as he speaks lovingly to his children again today. And if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, he's speaking to you to win your heart and save your soul from, uh, from the judgment your sin deserves. That's all going to be in this passage today. So John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters and again called to Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? 
Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After this, he said, after this, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Oh, Heavenly Father, paint the gospel before our very eyes again today. Oh, Lord, we don't want to stay the same. God, we, we ask that this truth, this scripture, examine our hearts as much as it examined those that Jesus was speaking to on that dark day. And Lord, may everyone experience today that in spite of the sinfulness of man, you overcame death, sin, and judgment through your own death on the cross to give us the gift of salvation and new life and forgiveness for all who would believe. Please, would you give saving faith to those who don't have it today? Please, would you give sustaining faith to those who are struggling? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a lot of talk today about the miscarriage of justice. We hear about it in race relations, don't we? We hear about it in gender equality, equal pay and privileges. We hear about justice and the miscarriage of justice. We hear a lot about it in politics. More, most recently, the topic's being heavily debated about the indictments unfolding in regard to former President Trump. The accused declares the, um, the accused declares his innocence and the prosecutor declares his guilt. I'm going to guess that a book will soon be written, if it hasn't already, called Trump on Trial. If it hasn't been written, tell somebody, I came up with the title. <laughs> a lot of good that's going to do me, right? I don't want any recognition for that. Um, that didn't come out right. Pray for Donald Trump. Pray for President Biden. Pray for our nation. Oh, God, make yourself known. And make yourself known through us. So if he's innocent, if Trump is innocent, we'll look back and realize that it wasn't really Donald Trump who was on trial, was it? It was the justice system that was on trial. Have you ever had the bitter experience of being innocent, yet be falsely accused of being guilty? Have you ever had that? Maybe it came from an employer. Maybe it came from a spouse. It could have come from a church, perhaps a teacher in school, maybe a government official. And haven't you had that weird experience of both anger and fear? Because it's a position, somebody in a position of authority 
seeming to have a word that may dictate your future. So I think there's something that rises up within you and you a desire to tell the world that the wrong person is on trial here. It's not me that should be on trial. Have you ever been the one in the seat of judgment making accusations about somebody who ultimately proved to be innocent and had the sober realization that it was not the person that you've been judging that should have been on trial. It was you that should have been on trial. It was your wrong judgment. And maybe your heart needs a second look. History and theologians have referred to our text today as Christ being the one who was on trial. And that was historically true, wasn't it? That was historically true. But in regard to the sovereignty, mercy, and justice of God, was it really Christ who was on trial here? Wasn't it really the Jewish leaders' self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-glorifying religious pride that was really on trial? Wasn't it Pilate's apathetic, truth is relative, do whatever makes you look and feel the best philosophy of life? That was really on trial. And it's amazing that these two worldviews, as confident as they were about their religion and their philosophy, they were blind to Jesus, even though he was standing. Jesus, the Son of God. God incarnate was standing like this in front of them. And in all of their proud religion and proud philosophy, they totally missed the Messiah. How about us? Is this text really intended not to just teach us about Christ being on trial? It's, it's to teach us that, and we're going to do our best to unpack that. But isn't it also intended to put what we believe, to put what we're trusting in, to put how we view or judge or forgive others? Isn't it all of that being put on trial today? And the good news of the text is really amazing because it sounds like, wow, this is so glad I came today, aren't you? You know, that's one of those kind of things. Is there any good news here? The good news is amazing in this text because even though it, even though it was the accusers, even though it was the prosecutors that were guilty, the innocent one still gave his life for them. He gave his life for their sins to pay the price for their sins too. So our main point this morning, it's in your notes. For this reason, Christ came into the world, just taking that out of the text, to bear our curse upon the cross so that we could believe in him as our king. Just a simple, simple statement, but I think that's the heart of the text. He came into this world to bear our curse upon the cross so that we could believe in him as our king. The first point is that Jesus indeed came to bear our curse. And you may wonder at first, I don't remember reading the word curse in the text. It's there. Let me help you see it. So this, the text says that early morning at dawn, Jesus is being brought from the house of Caiaphas. He's leaving the Jewish trials, and now he's coming into the Gentile trials. So he's coming to Pilate's headquarters. So this is at daybreak. The Jews just couldn't wait for the crack of dawn because they couldn't, they couldn't do any kind of capital punishment unless it was the daytime. So they couldn't wait. They wanted to get a jump on the daylight. 
So they were just ready. And there's just something about the rooster crowing, too, and the break of dawn. So there's a lot happening there. It's not just Peter's denial. It's that these proud religious people are blind to Jesus and they want him dead. And so they're looking to get to Pilate's headquarters as quick as they can. They, they could not enter. They would not enter. They could have done it. There was no law on the books of the Old Testament that said that they couldn't go into a Gentile's house. Jewish leaders, though, would not enter Pilate's headquarters so that they wouldn't be defiled, so they could participate in Passover. So, you guys, I'm, I'm so, oh, gosh, there's still so too much hypocrisy in me. I, I still, my character can still be conformed to my circumstance. How about you? I, I, I want to grow. I want to get stronger. I hope you do, too. But there's hypocrisy here is on full display, so I'm paying a, a lot of attention to this text, people can be so blinded by self-righteousness and so blinded by religious pride, and that could be true right here in West Texas, that they totally miss out on Jesus. They make a show of wanting to be seen as ceremonially clean, that's what these Jewish leaders were doing, by not entering a Gentile's home while they passionately pursue the murder of the innocent Son of God. A little hypocrisy there, wouldn't you say? A little bit. Dia Carson put it this way, the Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover. At the very same time, they're busy manipulating the judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the true Passover. Oh, Lord, help us. It's not hard to see this in ourselves. I, I attend church just too many times. 30 years I've been attending church. <laughs> You guys, so often I attend church and, and, and as God is purging me and sanctifying my heart, you know, I, it, it makes you look better in the eyes of people while I go home and can neglect or harshly treat Jan or the boys as they were growing up, ignore their need for the love of Jesus and pursue my own selfish interests or I, I, when I come home I deserve to rest and Jan should, it, all of the responsibilities should fall on her for the raising of the kids and their spiritual training and getting their homework done and paying the bills and, and yet boy I'm a churchgoer though. Pilate goes outside to them and asks what accusation, accusation they bring against Jesus because he doesn't want to condemn a man unless proving that he is guilty. So he's got that going for him. But at this point, it would be helpful to note, you guys, that Pilate was an, he was an evil man. He lived such a compromising life. He compromised truth and justice right and left, which left him in a, a more easy to manipulate by society, more easy to manipulate by these Jewish leaders. And you guys, you know, just that, that phrase, MacArthur, John MacArthur once said, you know, somebody who falls into adultery never falls far. He never falls far. He's been living a life of ongoing compromise. That's why we need fellowship with each other, because we need to help each other. We need to call each other to loving account and, and boost each other back up. But if we compromise and we compromise and we compromise, it just becomes so easy to do what we never thought we would have done in a thousand years. When you're saying, yes, I do, I commit to a lifetime of marriage with you, do you ever dream of committing adultery at that moment? It's not even in your wildest imaginations. 
but a little compromise. Every compromise affects conscience. And it's amazing how weak the conscience can get and how attractive sin can look and how we can justify it. Oh, let me reel it back in. So he's living that kind of life. And let me tell you how he's been doing it. When he came into power, he brought flags and standards into the temple grounds with the image of Caesar on it. Well, you know the commandments. Don't make any graven image. They worship Caesar. Caesar was God. He, he declared himself to be God. And so the Jews protested, and Pilate threatened to kill him. You know what the Jews did? Amazing story in history. Here, the Jews, in massive numbers, they bowed down on their, their, their hands and knees, and they stuck out their necks and said, go at it. And Pilate, Pilate heard that. He said, because what is he doing? He's always looking. He's always looking. What's going to make me look the best? This isn't going to make me look too good. I'm violating what, what even Caesar would tell me not to do. These people are willing to die for what they believe in. I'll be shedding innocent blood. So he backed off. That's the kind of man he is. He stole money from the Jewish temple to do something good. Uh, they needed aqueducts in the city. But here again, the Jews protested. You know what he did this time? He sent uh, Roman soldiers dressed in Jewish garb among the people with their, with their short knives. Not with their, not with their, there was a long knife and a short knife. And by stealth, they were just in the Jewish crowd, just taking life after life to show those Jews who was really in charge. The, the gospel itself says, can you imagine this, that Pilate shed the blood of the Jews while they were shedding the blood of their sacrifices and the blood of both mingled together. So this stuff gets back to Rome. This stuff gets back to Caesar. And Pilate is on his last, what, leg? He's on his, he's just inches away from being pulled out of power. So he is so manipulative. Manipul He's so able to be manipulated. I was trying to make up a word, I think, is what I was doing there. So Pilate goes outside and he says, what accusation do, do you bring? What is your evidence? And their response was no response. Did you notice that? No response. It wasn't an issue of guilty or, or it, it, what do they say? Wait a minute. Don't go trying us here. How, are you defensive like that? You know, defensiveness typically is an indication there's something that God wants to do in your heart. What do you, what, if you're innocent, why, why are you being defensive? Because it's self-preservation. It's preserving my pride. I'm not wrong. And so here they are. They're saying, what are you doing questioning us? This isn't, a, this isn't about us. If he weren't guilty, we would have never delivered him to you. We don't need any evidence. You got us. You have our, you, we're Jewish leaders. Don't put us on trial. So the gamesmanship and the manipulating has begun. And that's the way you act when you're seeking to kill an innocent man. That's just the way you act. Let's make him guilty. Let's punish him without any evidence. And Pilate says, you take your, to him yourself. First of all, do you notice that nothing's changed? You know, we're living in such a cancel culture world. Have you noticed that? That, that, that people find you guilty without any evidence of your guilt today. It's a tough world. 
So Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And they say, it's not lawful for us to put him to death. Well, that's true. The Roman Empire, when they conquered people, did not allow the subjugated people to inflict the death penalty on their own. That had to go through Rome. So Pilate sees a way out for himself here. Did you notice? You judge him. Your law has the death penalty. You kill him. Look what he's doing. Already he's doing... He's washing his hands of it, right? Even before he washed his hands of it. He's, he's trying to do it before he even gets to the water to wash his hands of, 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 of any guilt that he has about Jesus being punished. You kill him. Well, the Jews followed Roman law when they felt like it. You remember, they had no problem stoning Stephen. You remember that? It's like, I'll, I'll obey the law when it's convenient to me. I guess that's kind of what childhood is like, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what it's like to be a kid, you know? If, if it looks like I'm going to get ice cream, I'm going to obey, you know? If it looks like I can get ice cream by stealing, I might steal. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just what, what sinful hearts do and how we need Jesus. So why are the Jewish leaders so unrelenting? They could have taken him themselves. Why are they so unrelenting? about you kill him. Rome has to kill him. Why? Why? Well, because the Romans didn't inflict the death penalty the way the Jews did. How did the Jews inflict the death penalty? You tell me. By stoning. By stoning. Rome didn't kill people that way. Rome crucified those it found guilty. That was their goal. Now you should ask why. Well, because it represented being cursed by God. So I put some cross-references here for us to look at. So Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. So take, your, take a peek at that in your notes. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Guys, they wanted Jesus to die at the hands of Rome because according to Rome's law, it would prove that this man is cursed by God. So, so that's the signal they want the Jewish population to see. Hey, what Messiah sent by God hangs on the cross as a curse? <laughs> well, we would say... Our Messiah does. We'll see that in a minute. Who's going to follow a cursed king? That's what they were hoping to achieve. Do you see that? But of course, Jesus wasn't really the one on trial here. It was about their sin. It was their unbelief that was on trial. Jesus was actually about to prove he was the Messiah by being cursed. Where do I get that? Here we go. They're actually fulfilling God's plan. God is in total control of this. And it's the next note in your notes. This is from John 12, 32 and 33. Do you remember when we studied this? And Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show them what kind of death he was going to die. He wasn't going to die a death going down with stoning. He was going to die a death being lifted up to be cursed for whose sin he had no sin of his own mine too Brad mine too 
In Galatians, Paul even teaches on this. Galatians 3.32, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. They're trying to disqualify Jesus by being cursed while God is saying, you should, you should, be, you should thank your... There's no such thing as lucky stars. <laughs> you should thank your God above. That, that you weren't sentenced to bear the curse you deserve to bear. That I sent the Son of God to be cursed so you could be forgiven. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? That's such good news. So it should have been them. They're the ones being found guilty. And what does Christ do? Just slap them upside of the head? No. He doesn't just die on the cross for our sins. He was cursed on the cross for our sins, but for the Jewish leader's sins too. For the Lord judged him and killed him. So you know, I'm just going to do a play on words here. The Lord bless you and keep you. So how about this? The Lord judge you and kill you, Jesus. So the Lord can bless you and keep you. That's a good trade, isn't it? The great exchange, isn't it? The Lord judged him and killed him. Think about that. So the Lord could bless you and keep you. Jesus satisfied the judgment that those who were falsely uh, judging him deserved. And, and he gives us the same mercy and grace. So if you don't know Jesus here, you've sinned against him. I've sinned against him. We've sinned horribly in action, in thought, in desire. He sees it all. You've hidden nothing from him. And you deserve a just punishment. And what is his response to you? Too bad you lost your chance. No. He died for you. He died for you. He was cursed for your sin and your shame and your guilt. But not only was he cursed in our place, he also came to reverse the curse. Pretty cool, huh? He came to reverse the curse. How? By inviting those who have believed in him and his cross-bearing and his curse-bearing, inviting us to believe and follow him as our king. That's how he's reversing the curse. And you see that in verses 18 through 38. Pilate went, to, went inside. He interrogates Jesus himself now. He point blank asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, are you asking of your own accord or did others say this about you? Guys, put on your evangelistic glasses. Put on your missionary mindset. You guys, there's so much of scripture that we just read over and we're, not, we're missing all these occasions that Jesus is actually reaching out to those who hate him. This is Jesus evangelizing Pilate and it is so wonderful. It is amazing grace. How, how thankful I am we've been invited into that sacred moment to see how God treats the worst of sinners. Oh, because I'm one of those. And I'm so glad he treated me with grace and mercy. This is a loving Jesus. He's more than willing to reveal to Pilate who he is. <laughs> is it just because I'm right, you're wrong? That's not the game the Lord plays. You have to give an account to him on that day. But right now, he's passionate to save your soul, to adopt you as a son or a daughter, to love you for eternity. That's his, that's his passion. And he loves Pilate. Jesus loves Pilate. 
And he's offering him the opportunity to trust and follow him as king. Verse 35, Pilate appears to be put off by Jesus' question. Just like so many times we're, we're sharing the gospel and people are insulted that we even have a category of sin. And he probably sarcastically tells Jesus, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. And what have you done? What have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of the world, of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. And what's the proof? Well, now you know. That story, that, that story of here they're coming to arrest Jesus. And here Peter, some of the, some of the commentators say, boy, that, the high priest servant should be really glad that Peter was a fisherman and not a soldier. Because probably Peter was trying to cut his head off. But he wasn't very good with the sword, so he just got his ear. That's, you know, he just <laughs> and so, so they're, they're, they're looking at this. And why, why, what is that account about? What is about the ear? Why did he heal him? Well, one, because he's merciful, but he's the king. He's the king that reverses the curse. So he's coming to, to say, my kingdom is not of this world. If I were a king like you think of a king, you, you gain kingdoms by military force. That's what we think of kings. By, the, by putting others to death so that we can reign. By charging taxes. By the geographical regions of our kingdoms. That's the way we see it. So Pilate then says, because of Jesus' answer, he says, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus says, for this purpose I was born incarnation. So be thinking, let's, let's don't read through it too quickly. For this purpose, I was born incarnation. And for this purpose, I came into the world, meaning what? I existed before it, before it ever began. Why is that important? Why is that important? And if you're visiting today and you're just exploring the claims of Christianity, please, please hear me out on this. Um, Jesus is, is coming to declare himself to be the truth. He's not only the king, he's the king of kings. He's going to grow his kingdom, not through the death of others, but through his own death. He's going to grow his kingdom through the gift of giving people new and eternal life and forgiveness and love. What a great way to grow a kingdom. He's going he's to grow his kingdom by adopting repentant and faith-filled people, people who are putting their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He, God's going to adopt them as father. That's how the kingdom is going to grow. But sometimes we forget that Jesus' kingdom is, is just not of this world. And this whole thing about Peter and swords and, and, and military might and forces. Precious ones, and, and get ready because we're coming into another election cycle. And, I, and this one, is it, <laughs> did you ever think, okay, the word, it can't get any worse, right? I don't know. I don't know. It might, it might get worse. But you know what? We as Christians can't, can't react to every election cycle, every court decision, as though our future and Christ's kingdom rises and falls on those events. We, we can intentionally lose, we can unintentionally lose sight of our mission of making disciples in favor of a different mission of merely seeking to establish temporary earthly powers that will make our lives the most prosperous and the easiest. So, so here, let's go out and vote biblical values. Amen? Did you ever think that your voting biblical values is a way to love your neighbor? It's a way to love your neighbor, guys. 
So let's get out and vote biblical values. Let's encourage believers to serve in civil government and be salt and light and a witness for Christ. Let's not, uh, let's not let our faith be shaken or our mission diminished by the sinful plans and actions of men. So Jesus says, I came into the world to bring truth. Why? Because a sinful world does not have truth in and of itself because of the fall. A, a sin, this sin-bound world does not have, it has two plus two equals four. But it does not have the truth about heaven and hell and justice and mercy and grace and a loving God and a crucified Savior. It has none of that. Sin put man in the deceived position that he can determine right and wrong without God. Wasn't that the warning? Wasn't that the warning? And so truth, if there is any truth that, it, that lasts for eternity, it has to come from outside the world into the world. It has to come from a perfect God of love and truth. It's got to come from out there into here. That's the only way absolute truth comes into the world. But it comes into the world through the person of Jesus. For us to know the truth about God and about ourselves You'll never know who you are and who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live and what marriage is supposed to be and, and the issues of boy-girl. You're never going to know any of that unless you humble yourselves to say, I can't determine right from wrong without a perfect God. And I want to hear what he has to say. And so we listen. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I've come to bring you truth from outside the world. I've come to actually be born as a human being, fully God, not losing any of his godness, but fully man to be the truth because he is going to be the one who bears the truth of God's holiness and his justice and his mercy. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. He is the truth of the only way to be saved. And that's what he came to do. And he says, everyone who's of the truth, everyone who believes this truth listens to my voice. Hearing my voice as their shepherd is the proof that they are my people. Sober, sober thought here. And listen, oh, the, the, there's way better preachers. You can hear way better preachers than what I'm giving you today. But the scripture is unchanged. And so if none of this is making sense to you, if, if you're just going, hmm, just this is, how do we even know this happened? How do we even, listen, those aren't bad questions. I'd love to sit down over a cup of coffee with you and talk about them. But I would tell you this. If you're not hearing this as Jesus is Lord and Savior, that Jesus is truth, he's absolute truth. He's the truth about God. He's the truth about who you really are and how much you need him. And if you're not hearing that, if there's no faith and love welling up in your heart, I think we have to pay attention to the text. That, that you're not... You're not hearing him savingly, but he wants to give you his word. That's why you're here. He's giving you this word today so that you can become a believer, so that you can open your heart to follow him because everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. It's just a litmus test. So Pilate scoffingly says, what is truth? He, Pilate was postmodern before postmodern was cool. I mean, it's... People who live with the worldview of relativism believe people who claim that there's absolute truth in Christ and his word are hateful, right? When we, when we step up to the plate and we say, there is absolute truth in Jesus, there is absolute truth in his word. Oh, you're hateful. 
you're bigots, you're intolerant, you're self-righteous, you're unloving. But have you ever noticed that if someone who does not believe in absolute truth is hurt or threatened or suffers loss or fears the loss of their happiness or prosperity, they suddenly have an amazing transition. They demonstrate that they believe in absolute truth. It may not be God's, but it's mine. And if you don't live up to my absolute truth, we're, gonna, we're not going to get along. Isn't that amazing? Everyone has to come to a place where they admit, I believe in absolute truth when it comes to my happiness. <laughs> and I'm the one who determines what is absolute truth. So there's a whole lot going on here. Well, Pilate has to protect his pride and his power and his position. And believing in Jesus is not going to get him what he wants. Um, so he's, he's rejecting Jesus. He's not hearing the truth. So he ignores the truth of salvation in Christ in order to compromise and manipulate his way out of his problem. So now Pilate's been put on trial. He's been found guilty, just like the Jewish leaders, of unbelief in Christ. So what does a good king do for guilty sinners? <laughs> the, the way this ends is so precious, man. What does a good king do for guilty sinners? Christ is the king of kings. That's the burden of this text. What does a good king, a great king, do for guilty sinners? He sets the guilty free. And that's the third point. Jesus came to set the guilty free. Only a few people, did you know this? Only a few people are named in all four Gospels. So certainly there's Jesus and John the Baptist. And there's some, you know, names that you would think. Yeah, I totally get them. Barabbas is named in all four Gospels. Why would the Holy Spirit want Barabbas to get so much attention? Matthew said he was a notorious criminal. Mark and Luke said he participated in some form of insurrection and terrorism and committed murder. John says he was a robber and a pillager and a looter. That's all that the word means. Barabbas was really on the 10 most wanted list, you could say. Pilate, in a game of political manipulation and intimidation, he was playing with the Jewish leaders, gave them this choice of whether to set Jesus free or Barabbas free as his Passover gift to the people. It was a traditional thing that they, they would set one prisoner free as a gift to the Jews for Passover. And Pilate wanted Jesus to be the one who was set free. I find no guilt in this man. So he offered the crowd a candidate that they would find, that he thought they would find so sinfully offensive, so guilty, and so deserving of punishment. And, and if we put him next to Jesus, oh, it's a no-brainer who they're going to choose. Except that these people are dead in sin and have, they're arrogant in their religion and they're self-sufficient and glory-seeking. Surely the crowd wouldn't choose Barabbas, would they? Pilate's schemes of manipulation were no match for the growing number of voices that to Pilate's horror, those people cried out. I won't shout, but they shouted. Give us Barabbas. You want to talk about total depravity? Barabbas, top 10 criminal, the son of God. Give us the criminal. 
But you guys don't. Isn't there something in us that does that when we reject Jesus? When, when he's calling us to obey and we, we don't obey. Isn't there something in us that says, I want the world. I don't, don't, give him, I don't want Jesus. Barabbas means son of the father. Isn't that interesting? That they were willing to look for their salvation in a false savior. A sinful son of a sinful father. Instead of seeking their salvation in the sinless son of the sinless father. So thanks to Christ, the guilty man was pardoned. The innocent man was condemned to die on the cross. Anybody hear the gospel? (laughs) That's why Barabbas is in all these passages. But of everyone we could identify with in this narrative, isn't the one we should most identify with Barabbas? Have you been angry? Jesus said in in, uh, Beatitudes, to God, you're guilty of murder. Hmm, just like Barabbas. Are you a robber and a thief? Have you ever wanted people to appreciate you? To give you praise? Have you ever wanted... You know you're not great, but you want people to think you're great? Have you ever wanted the room to revolve around you? That you're the center of attention? Haven't we stolen glory from God again and again and again? A lot like Barabbas. God uses Barabbas to paint a parable of the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And our salvation is not achieved by anything we do. Did Barabbas do anything to earn his freedom? (laughs) No. It was a gift of pure, sovereign grace. And it's achieved by Jesus dying in our place. It's given to us as a free gift, a gift that we receive by faith. So because the true son of the father died in our place, we can all become true sons and daughters of God our father. So what is the truth? Are you going to leave here with the issue of what, that's your truth, Billy, and this is my truth? I think the reason people don't see the need for one ruling truth is that they know if there is one ruling truth, I'm going to be found guilty. <laughs> I'm just going to be found guilty. I cannot allow there to be one absolute truth because it holds us all to account. They want to live in accordance with a truth that allows them to sin and disobey and allows for adultery and allows for pornography and allows for anybody to marry anybody regardless of whatever. Oh my goodness. They want a truth that only provides pleasure and no hint of punishment. But Jesus has come to bear witness of the truth, to die for the truth, to be cursed for that truth so that the guilty could go free and worship Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let's do that this morning with communion. Is Eric, is he like lurking around somewhere? Is he? Yeah. Alan, you want to go get it? (laughs) It's funny. You guys have seen so many times he's back here. I didn't even know he was back here already. Um, Yeah. Worship team, come on up. 
you know, if you're visiting with us, just gives us a chance because we're going we're gonna to serve communion now and um, we're going to receive communion now. Um, this is a great time for me to ask you, have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you recognized that, that you're guilty of sin? You, you've broken the commandments of God. You're guilty. You've broken them in your actions. You've broken them in your thoughts. Maybe you didn't act on it, but you've broken them in your thoughts. You've broken them in your desires. And those broken commands will be judged. You'll be judged. Because that's what a righteous God does. But a merciful God takes your place on the cross. A merciful God comes because he wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a new life that you never dreamed possible. He wants to give you a purpose for living that will course through your veins for the rest of your life. Oh, don't say no to him. If you're still in the process of evaluating and, and thinking and wondering and asking questions, that's great. Please keep coming back. We'd love to talk with you and meet you. I was where you were. We all were. We all were. So there's no finger pointing here or shaking or nah, nah, nah. But don't take communion. The communion, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's, it, this isn't going to get you to heaven. This is a celebration of what was done for us to get us to heaven. And it's, so it, it's, it's to be received by believers. But, boy, watch what's happening. Because you've just heard the gospel in word. Now you're going to see the gospel in demonstration. Okay? Do you like